0: I want to tell you some of the things that are um, just uh, ahead of us. The the little clip that you saw while the offering began is about the 40 Acts program, which we once again want to encourage you to participate in. In fact, I would dearly love for us to have 100% sign up. Uh, for those of you who have not been part of that yet, it is a commitment during the season of Lent to live more generously than we may be prone to live. And so day by day, there are three challenges or three opportunities that are emailed to us um, and we can choose either a relatively easy one, a more difficult one, or a very challenging one. And uh, then we go out about living generously. So the idea is that rather than just giving something up for Lent, how about if we go farther than that and be generous? to a fault at Lent. So if you search um, 40 acts, you will find the site, and you will be given the opportunity to sign up to join. I've already done that, looking forward to the emails that will come day by day. And they don't tell you in advance uh, what the list of opportunities are is. Um, so it's sort of a fresh thing every day where you think of these are the three possibilities of what will uh, be offered to us this day. The one that I know for sure is coming is Chocolate Tuesday, which is my favorite day of all of Lent, um, when you in some way or another will perform an act of kindness related to chocolate. How hard could that possibly be? And I'm going to ask us if we could particularly focus on Main Street this year. So as we think about what it is we are invited to do in terms of acting generously, let's think of ways that we could perform those acts of kindness on Main Street. And uh, again, just uh, remind ourselves of how important it is that we are here and uh, involve ourselves in this particular redemptive presence. So we have a few weeks until that starts, but I hope that we will all sign up, get excited about it, and we're going to relate the study of the Beatitudes to the acts of generosity. Um, We've been suggesting that the Beatitudes are really the characteristics of God's kingdom, and I think that in many ways, um, the things that charm the acts of kindness will be the character traits of the Beatitudes. So I, I want us to have, have time sort of week by week to reflect on that and say that act on Wednesday, which Beatitude um, was really at the heart of that? And in what way was that us living into the kingdom? Um, which is what we're excited about. So we believe not only in life after death, but we believe in life after the life after death. And we've been asking you to submit artwork or writing um, or photography uh, related to the continuation of this creation into the glorious future. What will stay the same, stay as beautiful as it is, and what will be different, what will be new? What will Milton Main Street look like? What will your hometown uh, when you were a child look like? How similar will it be? How different might it possibly be? And so you've been sending in these pictures and we'll flash them up on the screens as we all together try to engage our imagination and say it's not just a place far away with clouds and angels and harps. It is this creation made new. And so wouldn't it be wonderful when this creation is rid of its corruption And lives into the full glory of the children of God, which creation itself looks forward to, as well as we who are those who are part of God's family. We're going to take one Sunday, when we deal with one particular matter related to the new heavens and the new earth, and that is the various questions that we have, the questions that are on our minds. So John has given us a great primer, and I've tried to summarize the various things that are questions on John's mind. But as you think about the new heaven and the new earth, um, life after life after death, what are some questions that you have? We're going to take a whole Sunday to focus on those questions. Um, we'll do some work at our tables. We'll have some conversation. We'll have some Q&A. But we're going to imagine, and as well as we can, we're going to go to Scripture and ask ourselves, well, what does the Scripture tell us about the future that might answer these questions? Um, questions like, will we eat? Questions like, will there be male and female in the new heaven and new earth? Do the scriptures tell us anything about that? So that as we imagine ourselves into the future, we know whether it's going to be just a bunch of unisex folks or will it be guys and girls in the new creation? Other important and interesting questions. So if you have a question, feel free to email it to me. Um, or send it into the office. We'll collect them, and we'll get ready to talk about them in a couple of weeks as we kind of hinge into the next series that we're going to. Today, we are looking at the Beatitude that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Where did it come from, this notion that the heart is the seat of love? Because actually, the heart is just an old pump, It's a fairly rigorous old pump, and it survives many, many years. It survives invasion, it survives stoppage, it survives arrhythmias, but all it is is a a pump. It's just something in there that keeps the blood flowing in and through and for our body. So where did this idea come that the heart is the icon or the symbol for love? Well, the Bible's guilty as well, because in the scriptures, when we come across the notion of heart, we also get the sense that what the Bible means is that inner person, not the physical heart, but the, the place that is the seat of our emotions, of our intellect, of our will, of our actual and true being. And so when the Bible wants to talk about the core of a person, the inner person, it will very often choose the heart. Um, as the image of that uh, seat of a person's love, seat of a person's emotions and volition and all those sorts of things. So this one says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I, I've been thinking that, in fact, the Beatitudes are not one-by-one one kind of categories and one-by-one one conditions, but they're, they're sort of a bundle. They work together. They are intertwined with one another and we're familiar with that kind of a notion if we think of various areas of our lives I think we can say yes you know um, if we look at economics for example we'll see that there's a fund that we're hoping to um, accrue for our retirement and that it's a bundle of other ways of saving and making money right it's it's a bundle of things and I think the Beatitudes are a bundle. It's, it's not good to just isolate one, C or one uh, beatitude and say, this is the one that I want my life to be like. We really should look at them all and ask, how do they bundle together and how do they actually work together? In what ways um, do they team up to help us become the kinds of people that delight God and the kinds of people that we would be delighted to be? Our daughter-in-law, Nicole, uh, has an interesting job. And uh, she travels a lot, and uh, I just want to tell you what she does. The other day, Annabeth was there very early in the morning because Nicole was traveling somewhere for her job. And the neighbor came out from across the street, and he said, what does Nicole do? And Annabeth is always stymied by the question, what does Nicole do? Annabeth's a nurse, so she gets medical terms and so on, but Nicole works for a company that manufactures and implants various things in human hearts. Um, and they are to help hearts um, not crash on us. Um, it, it's kind of serious stuff. And she travels um, many times to many, many cities across North America, um, working with doctors to help them in intervention when people have heart disease. So, Michaela, who's our granddaughter, when um, Annabeth came in and said that the neighbor had wondered what mummy does, uh, Michaela just said, Well, she helps doctors fix people's hearts. Simple as that. And that's what she does. The problem that we have that she helps doctors fix is plaque. Not just the stuff on our teeth, but the blockages of our hearts. So, her job is to either anticipate some problem because of a blockage or to fix some problem because there's a blockage in the heart. And so she travels and is in the OR with doctors fixing people's hearts because their hearts are not clean, right? Because their hearts are not pure. And to me, this is a a way that this sort of human, uh, real-life illustration helps us get to really important spiritual truths. And as we said several times, Jesus regularly went to the realities of human life, and when he wanted to explain to us things that were important and things that were spiritual and things that were to do with the kingdom, he would very often go to the ordinary aspects of human life and say it's like this. So when he's trying to describe a blessed person in this respect, he says well a blessed person is a blessed person is pure in heart, has a clean heart. The, the word literally means clean. It's been cleansed. Because that person will see God. And then I begin to wonder about the cause and effect relationship there. And wonder, is that something that is about the future? Is he saying that the person who has a pure heart someday will see God? Or is he talking about an ability? Um, a propensity on the part of a person of a certain character to see God? I think it's maybe the latter, that what Jesus is saying is that if you want to be someone who has spiritual sight, spiritual insight, someone who can see God, the requirement is that you have a pure heart. The requirement is that your heart is clean. You will be able to see God if your heart is single, if your heart is pure, if your heart is clean. So as I think about that, I'm just brought to the ordinary aspects of heart health, to try to figure out what that means, right? So when we think about heart health, um, we ask questions about how can we keep our hearts strong? Um, how can we keep our hearts you know, pumping as well as they possibly could? So we, we're concerned with um, you know, blood pressure and cholesterol, and you go to see the cardiologist. Um, I have to see the cardiologist once a year, although the last time he said he didn't want to see me anymore, and that really scared me. Um, and the last time I was there, I had a, a stress test. You've, how many have had a stress test? Oh my goodness! You get on a treadmill. So there's this lovely young lady who is running my stress test. The last time I was there, and after a, about seven or eight minutes, whatever it was, um, I'm it's it's going faster and faster, and I'm I'm hardly breathing. So she says, "I have all I need. Do you want to keep going?" <laughs> so I said why why would anyone want to keep going well she said it's like a free, gy- free trip to the gym isn't it and i said no i'm i'm good i'm good thank you let, let me off so um when we think about uh, our heart health uh we think about nutrition how nutrition uh, affects our hearts what are we eating that has the wrong kinds of, of fats or whatever that is building up um plaque blockages in our arteries. Um, we all are supposed to be involved in aerobic exercise, which is how we strengthen our hearts, right? So we, we, we want to nourish our hearts with the right kind of food. We want to strengthen our hearts with the right kind of exercise because our hearts are very very important pumps. So in the spiritual side or in the spiritual realm, what does it mean to bring nourishment to our hearts what does it mean to strengthen our hearts so that we can be pure in heart? So our concern is the reality and the presence of blockages. There are things that can be brought into our spiritual hearts that are blockages. They Im- impede the proper functioning of a spiritual life, of a dynamic Christian life. And we need to know how do we, how do we have the right intake in terms of nutrition and then how do we have the right practices in terms of strength so that we are exercising our spiritual hearts so that at the end of the day we can say, I think I'm working on a pure heart, and therefore I'm hoping that I will be a person who can see God. That all of the other distractions, the mixed things that should not be in my heart have been, have been expunged from my heart. They ha- there's now a flow, there's a life that flows through my heart because of the way I bring nutrition and the way that I bring strength and exercise to my heart. Several years ago, um, one of the elders of a church we were at in Toronto who was a cardiologist was talking to a group of us as we were sitting eating a meal together, and I said, Michael, um, could you please tell me what the single most important thing I could do to prevent heart disease and to have a healthy heart would be? He's the chief of staff at Eastern Toronto East General Hospital, well-known cardiologist, and I'm thinking, I I could get something really useful here. Everybody at the table kind of quieted down, and Michael said, it's too late. I had no idea what he could possibly mean. He said, it's too late because you can't choose your parents. So I learned about something more important than nutrition and exercise. It's called genetics. So my ancestry, my parents will be more predictors of my heart health than my diet or my exercise. Well, that was not encouraging in the least. Now he said you should pay attention to diet and exercise, but it's really genetic. It comes right down to that. So I add that to my understanding of what the spiritual lessons are using the heart and saying, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. What is there genetically that I need to understand that helps me grasp the truth and the phenomenon of being pure in heart? And then what is the nutrition I should worry about and what is the exercise that I should worry about? I have some really good news. In terms of spirituality, your genetics are perfect. You don't need to worry about your genetics in terms of poor spiritual heart health. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because you have a new heart. Spiritually, you have a new heart. And the whole long story of the old covenant leads us up to that when God has a covenant with a particular nation, and the whole deal was that by living according to this covenant, this nation would draw all nations to know the same God, because the other nations would say, what an incredible God they serve. He's so close to them, we can't get our God's attention ever. And yet their God is near them, he's with them, and he, he answers their prayers, what happened is that the children of Israel, that nation that God chose to begin with, they got it wrong. And they thought that God's favor to them meant that they were God's favorite. And so rather than live a relationship with God in such a way that the nations would be enlightened and would be drawn to God, they... Isolated themselves from the nations and they did not live according to the covenant very simple covenant based on ten words that God gave to them still commend themselves to us today The Ten Commandments or the Decalogue They couldn't keep the Ten Commandments And so at the end of this experiment um, God speaks to them through prophets And we hear it through Ezekiel and through Isaiah in particular And in Ezekiel chapter 36, God has a litany of complaints about Israel. He tells them item by item what they did wrong. And it's clear in the way that he spells out how they have failed, what it should have been, on the other hand. The nations, rather than being drawn to God, despised God because his people who had his name blasphemed his name they misused his name they did everything ethically and morally against the covenant so that God scratched his head if we can just turn it into a sort of a human experiment and God said well what are we going to do now because you have just kept on failing and I'm going to have to do something about it and I'm going to do something that's not for your sake, but because of my name, because of my reputation. So here's what I'm going to do. I will forgive your sins. Now, if you were part of that first covenant people, you would be saying, oh, because the, the more we know about God, the more we know that he is holy and righteous, and we have offended his laws. So God is saying, I'll forgive your sins. But then he says, that's not going to be enough. I will also give you new hearts. I will take out your hearts of stone and give you hearts of flesh. Now that's a lovely picture of a healthy heart, isn't it? A calcified heart would be one that is blocked up artery by artery. And we hear those reports where the doctor says, I have four arteries that are 80% blocked. And I think that can't be good. In fact, the more people who tell me about the number of blockages they have, the more arteries the heart appears to have than I ever knew it had. So we were getting, you know, quintuple bypass surgeries, and you go, what is all that about? It's it's diverting and working around, and so the picture of a new heart, of a fresh heart, is one when it's contrasted against the calcified heart, that is very vivid as an image, right? That God says, your hearts were bad. You had blockages in all of the arteries of your spiritual heart. I can't fix it. Not enough bypass surgeries are going to take care of this. So what I will do, I will give you a new heart. New heart. I, I was present um, when a heart was delivered to a young man in Vancouver. A heart that was donated by a loving family of a person who died tragically, another young person. And that was the greatest gift. And if, if you haven't signed your donor's cards, this is not a paid political announcement, but oh my goodness, you can love people and sacrifice for people in profound ways by making sure um, that whatever they want of you, they can have. They, they'll look at my body and say, thanks, but no thanks, thanks <laughs> What are we going to do with that, right? A new heart. And when a person is on a waiting list for a new heart, what happens when they get a new heart? To say that that is life-changing, it's life-starting again, right? And God says, that's what I will do for you. You can have a new heart. Genetically, you had bad hearts. It was too late. But genetically you now will actually be the recipients of new hearts, and that will be the start of your ability to live lives characterized as pure in heart. That is an incredible gift of God's grace. And it promises you, it promises me, that we are fully able to have pure hearts. We don't start on this journey thinking I've got to rid myself of a whole lot of calcification. I've got to rid myself of a whole lot of blockages. I've got to rid myself of a whole lot of guilt and shame. God says, no, when, when you came to me, what I gave you was a new heart. I didn't just fix the old one. I gave you a brand new one because the old one wasn't working. It was blocked up. And I will give you my spirit. I will put him within you so that you will be moved to do my ways. The truth about you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that at the core of your being, you want to be holy and righteous and pure. You're not fighting against what you really want. You're living in a way that is true to what you have been created to want because you have a new heart. That new heart is vital. That new heart is alive and fresh. And it is your ability, the center of your being, oriented to God, sized up for God and ready to know him and love him. And Jesus says, because of what my father has done, those who are pure in heart will see God. So it's important for us to keep our hearts healthy. But the start of it is the encouragement that comes from God telling us in his word that it's not too late. Genetically, it's not too late. You have a new heart. You have a good heart. It's ready to be all that it's supposed to be. Well, that being the case, what should I be doing in terms of diet and what should I be doing in terms of exercise spiritually with my new heart? What's well, obvious, isn't it? I mean, what we do by way of nourishment of the new heart is to take in God's word. It is our food and drink. Psalm 119 says, how can a young person keep his way pure? Do you remember what the answer is? By paying heed to it according to your law. The way to feed your heart is with the teaching of God's word. And we're living in a day, folks, when that doesn't matter to very many people. In fact, many, many, many people have put their Bibles on the shelf. Even those that used to read their Bibles have put them on their shelf and said, no, nah, I don't think so. I would, I would beg you to take your Bible down from the shelf and start reading it again. What was wrong with the Ten Commandments? They are moral and ethical, beautiful standards. And all the better now because we have hearts that want to do what they tell us. So if you want to have a pure heart, you're off to a good start because you have a new one. But by the diet of God's word, you can keep that heart healthy. Because it will check the things that you have taken in that shouldn't be there. It will check those plaque deposits of the things that we collect living this life, sometimes unintentionally and sometimes even intentionally. And the scriptures will nourish us so that our hearts can stay healthy. What is the exercise of the spiritual heart? Well, I'm glad you asked that. It'll be the 40 acts, right? If we're right that acts of kindness are a great demonstration of the character of our God, And we say, let's all get at that. For 40 days, let's every one of us do one thing a day that reflects the generosity of the mercy and grace of God. That'll be good exercise for us, right? That'll be worth the 30 minutes on the bicycle or the 45 minutes in the pool physically. Spiritually, it will be living out and exercising our hearts, you know what happens when you exercise your heart? Your heart gets more able to do more than it could before, right? We, you, you found that, or they say that's true. They, they say there's a wall that you break through by exercising. Has anybody ever found it? I haven't found it. I hear people, though, they tell me that they just love runners especially. I don't know about runners. They say that there comes a point where they are just exhilarated and they break through the wall. I don't have a wall. I've never felt exhilarated. And you say, well, look at you, no wonder. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. What does it mean to be pure of heart? It means that we should live out of the truth that we have brand new hearts that are fresh and good and have great longevity. They will last a long time. And it means that we should... Make sure that we keep them in top shape, top working order, so that we can be people who, in that process, have a clear vision of God. We get to know him more and more as we take in his word, and that strengthens us, and as we practice living the Christian graces, and that gives us even more ability as we press forward. Blessed are the pure in heart. They'll see God. Let me pray about it. Father, thank you for the, the great image that the heart is for the, the core of the human being, for the, the lessons that we can just draw from what a human heart is like and what happens to it and what happens with it so that we can um, imagine that over into the spiritual lives that we live. So, Father, we pray that you will quicken our hearts, that you will make our hearts uh, lean and able to live into the, the truth of this beatitude paired up with many of the others as we commit ourselves to being people of your beatitudes, people who are blessed indeed. In Jesus' name, amen.